You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all the paid supporters that make this show possible. You can get more info and follow my updates on all the content and open source I'm creating at patreon.com slash brettfisher. And as a reminder, all the links for this show, the topics we discuss, as well as the links I've already mentioned, are available on the podcast website at podcast.brettfisher.com. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is Brett. I'm going to be here with you for at least the next hour, and we're going to talk about a bunch of my favorite stuff today with a friend of mine. So we're going to be talking specifically about continuous integration, continuous deployment, continuous delivery, GitOps, all the things between your code and servers, like that whole segment. And we're specifically going to be talking about Argo, so we'll get to that. But get those questions in early. Get the questions that you have around CICD and get what is GitOps. I mean, if you have those questions, throw those in the chat. And then we're going to start working on them later. We might even get into some demos. This show is actually about my friend, Victor, who's all the way from the other side of the pond. Victor is a principal DevOps architect, which makes it sound like he's better than DevOps, which he totally is. And let me just give you some credentials on his background, because he's not just a Docker captain. Victor has been doing all sorts of stuff. Now, not only does he write a bunch of books that are all about DevOps and continuous integration and all those things, and he also has a YouTube channel that you should check out, but... He works at CodeFresh, so he's a DevOps architect there, a principal DevOps architect. He is a member of the Google Developer Experts Program, which, cool, but that's not enough because he's also on Continuous Delivery Foundation (laughs) Ambassadors. And I mentioned he's got a bunch of books, of which he did have me in one of those. I was very lucky to be a part of one of those books, and that was a fun time. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I just have to compliment you on your setup there. You've got some nice new hardware that I, I like. You got the lights. We're, we're almost matching in our, our lights today. Exactly. See? Uh, we're synchronized. Let's back up a second. Let's go through some announcements. So you heard me talk about this last week, and I have several weeks now. Every year for October, DigitalOcean has Oktoberfest. And I'm a big fan because one, it promotes open source and it's designed to help you get involved with helping open source. You don't have to be a developer, by the way. My first PRs, which are the pull requests that you do in GitHub typically, that's how you change code in open source usually now. And I started by just editing readmes. So all you have to know is some basic text and maybe a little markdown, which is a text formatting language. So that's it. And then it teaches you you know, a lot of this stuff here teaches you how to use Git, how to use Git in open source, maybe how to open a pull request to maybe get some feedback. It's a really great process, and I highly recommend you do it. Even if you don't think you're an expert on something, you probably use something in open source that's probably stored on GitHub or one of the other ones, but this is really focused on GitHub. And I bet you, you've found at least a spelling error or a grammar check or something, and you can do those as part of Oktoberfest and get a free t-shirt. I think they're giving away 75,000 t-shirts, which is insane. If you delivered 75,000 t-shirts to my house, could I fit them in my house? You have a house. I have an apartment. So (laughs) you're better equipped than I am. So, well, you've been to a lot of vendor booths at conferences. How many t-shirts are normally shipped? Like, can you, is there a number that you can think, like, do they ship 500? Like, how many t-shirts can you think of that you've seen in the real world at one time? Uh, Let's say at KubeCon, when we were sponsoring, we would bring, uh, I don't know, 5,000. Okay. Is that a room full of boxes? Oh, yeah. That's a storage space of of a conference where you just keep coming with more and more boxes to the booth. Yeah, 5,000. Even to me, the 5,000 is hard to imagine. I mean, I think I have a lot, and I probably have 100 t-shirts in the house. But, you know, I can't fit them in drawers because they're all conference t-shirts and, you know, they're, they're stuck in boxes too. <laughs> but my wife uh, forced me to find that. Uh, she said that, hey, all your t-shirts are walking commercials. You don't have a single t-shirt that is not a commercial, right? I said, that's not true. And here she made a bet. Find me one and you can keep them. If yeah. you don't find one, you need to throw them away. I was left shirtless. Yes. Well, and I think that T-shirt is an advertisement for being a retro gamer. Oh, yeah. Which I'm also a fan of. 
In fact, I think actually I think I'm kind of missing stuff from my back wall. I was looking over my my shoulder real quick and realizing I don't think I have any gamer stuff, and that's a shame because I've been like. I've always got a, my favorite game. I've always got some game. Let me give you a recommendation. Buy Pandora Box. That's a life changer. Like, I don't know, 10,000 games, something like that. All the retro games you, you ever will need in your life, you ever played in your life are there. It's amazing. Is it like a retro pie? Because I have a retro pie. No, no. It's kind of like, the, you know, the, uh, imagine the top of the arcade. Okay. With joysticks and everything. Okay. Uh, so it's it's like that, right? It's, it's a box... Oh, it's the hardware. It has the top of the ar- ar- arcade, right? So you get the joysticks and everything, and you just plug it into your television. Oh, okay. Oh my goodness, I'm going to have to look this up. This is this is a new hobby now because I, I re- this year one of my projects I took a new Raspberry Pi four and I turned it into a Retro Pi, and now I have forty thousand games, and I've been going through some of the classics like Gauntlet, and I, I think I went I went through Super Metroid and beat the whole thing again to feel like a kid. Ghosts and Goblins. Ghosts and Goblins. That's a great one. Okay, I but was about. Hard. To, I I thought you were gonna say I could never play that, and then I would leave this show. No, I I've I played that this year. I've played that game because you have the you have like you start out with the plate mail, and you have the the javelin right and the fire. It's hard. That's a hard game, but all yeah, all arcade arcade games are hard because you're not supposed to be playing more than right. a few minutes. Yeah, you don't have that much money, and you're never supposed to win because how could they ever get your quarters if you won? Ghosts and Goblins, that's a great one. That was like a precursor to Castlevania, which is another great one. But uh, we need to have a whole show just about retro. All right, so let's talk about what you got. You got, real quick, uh, your website, Technology Conversations. I'm going to put that out there. Yeah, he's got a bunch of books. They're all focused on DevOps, so I highly recommend them. And he he keeps releasing new ones, and it's like a new version each time. And I like it. So he has this great YouTube channel. Oh, you're not doing that anymore? Not anymore. No, now I have a new concept. Now it's kind of like a uh, never-ending catalog encyclopedia where I just keep stuffing stuff I like. It's like a garbage can, right? Kind of, oh, I yeah. played with this. Uh, let me put it inside, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what you're doing on your YouTube channel too. Is On the YouTube channel, you had a video recently where you you played with Octant and didn't have a lot of positive things to say about it. No, but... Yeah. So the thing is that I consider myself fortunate that people allow me to do that, but I, I like giving kind of, this is what I really think. There is no fuss and no kind of political correctness and whatever. I tried it. I used it. I don't like it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first impressions matter, right? We're usually not lacking for tooling. It, it is a tough thing. And a lot of open sources like this, UI design, UX uh, are often like the last things, if ever, to be put into a project. So, you know, it's a challenge and I don't disagree. I'm always looking at it like I, I have the dashboard, the official Kubernetes dashboard. How is this better? So I liked how you t- approached it from the same method of like, why would I consider this? But uh, yeah, they've actually been on the show this year. So if you want to know more about Octant and maybe see what features it has, they were on the show earlier this year, but it's a VMware sponsored project. I'm assuming at some point it's going to tie into other things that they're doing that will bring, maybe bring some more power out of it. But I haven't seen that yet. But anyway, let's get to the topic at hand, which got some people excited in chat recently. I got some retweets on it that people were interested in this GitOps stuff and specifically in Argo, because we've talked about We've had Weave on the show in the last year talking about Flux and Argo Mm -hmm. is, I wouldn't say it's a competitor. They do have similar functionality, but they differ in the way they're implemented and and the scope of their features. I'm not going to say they're competitors. In fact, they now seem to be friends because they're collaborating on this GitOps engine thing and they're merging a lot of their open source. So You're not following the news and then there's more. And then they stopped. They got married and then they got divorced. Oh... They had a falling out? Just, yeah. Just the, just the drama of open source? Exactly. But, I mean, they're not competitors because both are really open source, uh, especially Argo. Argo has... One of the things I like about Argo is that... Or dislike. I'm not sure yet. Uh, is that there is no really financial interest behind it. It's more like a prestige because it's really a bank, financial institution behind it, right? Kind of, They're not uh, going to okay. earn money from it. Uh, but anyways... It is not a competitor, but it is. it serves similar goals. So let's put it that way. That's probably nicer right. to say than competitors. Yeah, and that is a good point. And we're not here to bash on people, but there is a constant challenge that I have because I love a lot of tools that have paid versions and the open, 
the free version is the limited version, like traffic, right? I'm, I'm technically a traffic ambassador. That's one of the challenges they have. And then one of the challenges I have as a user is as open source continues to mature, their free product that's open source is fantastic. But there are things I wanted to do that they will probably never put in it. And they'll probably never accept a PR because it's in their paid version. So I know that Weave provides a cloud and that the GitOps stuff is a part of it. So I'm sure that they struggle with that challenge too of we still got to make money, but we also love open source. It's not like these people are, you know, there's not a lot of projects out there that purely make open source just so that they could get you to buy the product. And you can kind of tell when you see those two because they usually are crappy open source products. I would not classify Weave as one of those. But since we've had GitOps and Flux on the show, do you want to back up a second? What's the architecture of Argo? And it looks like there's multiple projects, right? So we're specifically talking about one project? Yeah, so in this case, I think we're talking about Argo CD. Yeah. Um, and to begin with, it's a very unfortunate name. In my head, the way how I think about continuous delivery, this is not continuous delivery. So let me get that out right away, right? Uh, that does not mean that it's not a good tool. It's a great tool. I love it. It's more one of my favorites, but it's not continuous delivery. Anyways, it's relatively simple in what it does. Uh, and what it does is that you have an agent in your cluster that listens or pulls, pulls periodically your Git repositories and makes sure that the desired state defined in your Git repositories is the same as the actual state, which is your cluster. If there is a drift between the two, it will do certain actions to make sure that your actual state is the same as the desired state. So it pulls manifests from Git repositories and applies them to the cluster if there is a drift between the two states. Okay. When I say it's simple, it sounds like, oh, this is a simple, I mean, there's a lot of complexity how to do all that, right? But from at least from user perspective, it's a relatively simple and straightforward tool. Yeah, so real quick, before we actually get into all the tools, it looks like they have workflows, CD, rollouts, and events. Yes. These all could probably be one project or one product, but in open source world, we like things that are smaller. Exactly. That's yeah. one of the things I like about it. It's different components that are very specialized in what they do, you know, relatively small and potentially doing a very good job within a limited scope, then it's up to you to combine them. I see many cases where people would use, let's say, Argo CD with a different tool for events or, you know, for pipelines. That's the beauty of it. Once, once you choose to use a huge something, kind of like in the era of many years ago that we had with, I'm not going to name, right? Then, then you're kind of locked. Yeah. I see yeah. it as a puzzle box, right? Your system is a puzzle, and then you need to figure out which pieces you're gonna put in. Yeah, and that's you know that's probably could be the better name for this show is the DevOps puzzle box because uh, <laughs> you know everybody. I mean, I've I'm on I don't know five different projects a year. Maybe this year is a little higher than normal for some reason, and there no two companies do anything the same. Like between their code getting committed and their code running on a server, that stuff is different on every one of those customers. Like it might be a different CI tool. They might decide to do it, you know, deployments based on images. They might decide to do deployments based on Git bits. Like there's just so many variations there that it, it's hard. It's hard when, because people show up at this show and they ask questions and they're always wanting that one way. Like what's the way? <laughs> but real quick, before we get into CD, I just want to I want to throw people a bone a little bit, at least on Argo, so that they can understand. It looks like Argo Workflows is the CI tool for testing and more of the traditional creating a workflow about, about a, around a bunch of different pipeline goals. It looks like CD is all about the delivery or the deployment and that process in a modern GitOps way. It looks like mm -hmm. Rollouts is specifically for Kubernetes and is a more advanced way to do rollouts instead of a rolling update, which is what we all, when we all start out with Kubernetes, we start out with rolling updates. And that's a that's one way to do it, but there's all these other ones like Canary and Blue Green. And it looks like this is a new control that provides, I'm sure, some new CRDs. And they, I, what I really liked about it is 
they highlighted for me, because I just read this a couple of weeks ago, but they highlighted for me the reasons why you might want to get away from the rolling update standard out-of-the-box deployment strategy of Kubernetes. Not that it's bad, because I know tons of people that use it, but there are reasons to evolve beyond that to something more advanced, which there's lots of choices. And I love this little list of five things because it's now... Like this is the kind of list that I will tell clients as a consultant and make myself sound smart. <laughs> you know, it's a pretty great little list. So for people out there, uh, check out if you're looking at more advanced stuff, then this is something like that. And then the last one there was events, which I don't really get. I mean, I know what events, the idea of events are in an, in a system, but it definitely looks like a Kubernetes specific thing. Do you know anything about it? That's the one I use the least. Uh, so I'm not really equipped to talk much about it, to be honest. Yeah. But that's okay. I'm guessing it's the newest one because I had not really heard of it until recently. It's got some interesting ideas here on basically turning it into like a bot, like turning your Kubernetes into, instead of using like Zapier, which is what I use for normal, like one system talking to another when I don't have anything to, when I don't want to have to develop it myself, I'm going to guess that maybe this is that kind of idea that I can plug into different endpoints and then automate things on Kubernetes, but I don't actually know. So let's get into... The actual Argo CD, which was the when I asked you to be back on the show, or when I think you asked me actually, and we were talking about all because we could talk about we've already covered ten topics that we could cover talk about right now. <laughs> but talking about CD, so in this Argo CD, what does the CD stand for for you, or what does it officially? So within the context of Argo CD. It's not Argo CD. If I, if my description of Argo CD, it is a way to deploy your applications following GitOps principles. Meaning, you store a definition of something in Git, it it just happens there, right? It's a deployment right. mechanism. Call it GitOps friendly. Now, for something to be CD, it, from my perspective, you know, for for you to deploy something, you need to build that something. You need to create a release. You need to test something, and so on and so forth. So I, I see at least continuous delivery or CD as a full life cycle of application that starts with a push to a Git repository and ends. And this is now a tricky part. Ends with having a release that is deployable to production, or a release that is deployed to production. And this is the slight difference between deployment and de delivery and deployment, continuous delivery, right. continuous deployment, right? But the difference is in that button. Do you push a button to deploy to production uh, or it just gets deployed? Is it automated? Yeah. And for those that and are then, asking, because, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. And then Argo is a piece of that puzzle. At least I see it as a piece of that puzzle that uh, when, it, when you get to the point in your let's call it pipeline, right? CD pipeline that you say, hey, I, I want this to run in staging or I want this to run in production. Normally, what the first instinct of everybody, and that was my instinct for a long time was, hey, this is the moment where I should execute kubectl something or helm something or SSH, and, right? Your instinct tells you, now I should execute a command that deploys that something. Right. While with Argo, your job is not to actually execute that command. Your job is to create a pull request or, or a push directly to a Git repository that defines that production environment and say, hey, the tag of this application should now be that, the one that I just built and tested. Right. And this is all based on GitOps principles. So we had this question. This is maybe part of the challenge is that we we're not necessarily defining GitOps and distinguishing the difference between that and what we used before because uh, a great question that we just got was from Method Man, the difference, but what is the difference between Argo and Helm? The difference, the major difference would be that, so Helm serves two purposes. One is to define what your application is, right? Oh, there will be the template for the deployment, for the service, for ingress, for this and that, right? So it provides a templating solution. Uh, and then you can execute commands like Helm install or Helm upgrade to convert those templates into uh, requests to Kubernetes to create the objects based on those templates. So two purposes, two main purposes. Now, Argo, Argo doesn't care about the first purpose. You can use Argo CD with uh, Helm definitions 
or with customize or with pure Kubernetes YAML, JSON net and what's not. But it, it takes control of the of that Helm upgrade command, right? So instead of you executing command, hey, I want to Helm install this, you Argo CD is doing that for you. And there are many benefits for, from that. First of all, because it forces you to push that change into, into Git, right? You're forced to do that. Right. Second is that you do not need access to that cluster anymore. And this is something that people don't talk much about when, when they talk of those concepts, but to me that, that might be the most important thing. I do not need to have access to my production cluster. And that is amazing. Now, in the past, when somebody says, you don't need to have access to production cluster, I, I, I had desire to kill that person because that meant that, hey, I would need to wait three weeks until something happens because I would need to open 17 Jira tickets and what's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this case, you can still do everything you're doing. It's just that not by directly communicating with your destination, but by changing uh, the desire, desire stating it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, Hub, sorry, Helm doesn't care how you deploy it, right? It has its own templating. It's designed to uh, use that templating when you want something more than what Kubernetes YAML does out of the box. And Argo CD doesn't have a format. It's not a, it's not a CI standard or something like that. It's, it's all about creating Git as that single source of truth for every release. So the, the, the goal, really one of the big goals of GitOps is, um, at least for me, is that anyone in my team or anyone who has access to that Git repo can see every change we've made in production by going to the Git log. And that's a, a huge power. If you've ever worked in a large team or had what I would say, management that loves to get into the weeds with you and wants to be able to see things, they always want dashboards. They always want, you know, they want to see what's changing. And a lot of us, it's it's just hard to even know what's changed, right? What has changed in my production? What's changed with my cluster infrastructure? What's changed with my applications? And that's really hard to do. Obviously, you can do code repos, but it's really hard for people to go, okay, well, which which one is in production? Which version is in staging? Well, GitOps tries to solve all those problems by saying Git is it. That's the place where all of these things are doing so are happening. So if you want to change something in production, or if you even want to change your infrastructure by adding nodes or whatever, all of this can be done in Git. And then you need some sort of controller or some sort of program that's watching Git, seeing the changes, and understanding the difference between that and what's real, whether that's the infrastructure, the applications that are running, whatever. And then it makes those changes on your behalf, right? So um, GitOps is a relatively generic term and it doesn't have to be Git, right? It could be some other form of versioning system, but you know, we're all using Git, come on. I could use I could use HGOps, but that doesn't really re- roll off the tongue very well. So I, I think that for those of us that are, are looking at, now, another thing I'll say real quick is that GitOps has primarily showed up, it was a term coined by Weave, I don't know, three years ago, and GitOps has largely only been implemented in the world of Git versioning system, because that's what most people are using, especially in open source now, and two, Kubernetes. So it's possible to do it with other infrastructure. There's nothing inherently unique. So a lot of people will ask me, well, what about Swarm? Because Swarm do GitOps? Well, anything could do GitOps if you have a GitOps controller that's automating. You don't even need to buy a tool or get a tool. You could write something that's monitoring GitOps for Git, you know, for changes and then implementing it. So, I, I would go even as far. It doesn't even have to monitor Git for changes. You, mm-hmm. you can create a webhook from Git to notify the tool. It can be the other direction. The ultimate, the, the real goal is: hey, you are defining the state and storing that in Git, and right. automatically, right. one way or another, by pushing, by pulling, by uh, gremlins working in your cluster. That right. happens to become the actual state. And I think, yeah, yeah, thank you so much for clearing that up. And I think that the Weave team that were on the show last year said it really great. 
I think they say this in a blog post that if I can still cube control apply on the server, then I'm not really doing GitOps. Because the idea is like you were saying, you said earlier, like GitOps, the idea here is that I'm implementing change through Git, not through server commands. So when I if I roll out something and it changes the server and then something's problematic and I need to roll out a different version, I'm doing that in Git. Either I'm doing I'm taking another branch and merging it, or you know, I'm doing some sort of Git operation that will make that latest commit be pushed or whatever you need to do on the servers, right? Isn't that? Yeah. And let, let me give you one reason that you might not have heard often before. Okay. And you do all that because you're a team player. Because, you know, when you go to a server and then execute random commands, or you go through some UIs and accomplish certain things yeah. by clicking buttons, nobody knows who did what. Right. And I'm not saying who did what from, uh, from the perspective of policemen, right, trying to catch you doing something bad. But we work as a team. And the best way that I know of today to work as a team is to have uh, everything available to everybody. And we do that, engineers do that through code and pull requests and code reviews and, and all the good stuff, right? So right. to me, that's that's about working in a team. Yeah, and, and this kind of, sorry, I was uh, no, saying that this, this kind of evolved out of us all being able to operate on consistent experiences like GitHub and Bitbucket, like GitLab and whatnot. We, this, a lot of us were doing this before it was GitOps, right? We were continually trying to automate our tooling and, and cause there was a, what, a, a decade ago or something when infrastructure as code started happening and DevOps was starting to get some traction that a lot of us that were in infrastructure were like, well, hey, I'm just going to start putting all of our infrastructure crap in Git. Like whatever other system we have, like we're not going to use that. Or like CloudFormation, which back in the day wasn't even YAML, it was JSON. Back before we were using Terraform, we were using CloudFormation. And it was like, okay, we're going to track, CloudFormation is, is crazy. There's a ton of it. We're going to put it in Git and track all changes in Git like the developers do for their code. And, we, and I remember we were actually training like new you know, operators and sysadmins that were not developers, right? We were having to teach them Git because we wanted them to use this to version instead of some ticketing system or, you know, you name it, a wiki, like just random things out there that were all storing configuration data or just screenshots sometimes. Like if it was on Windows, it was a screenshot that said, click this button. This is what we did. You know, there was a day where we were using, there's not a lot long ago, maybe a decade, 2012, 12 to 13 years ago, something like that, 2005, 2008, we were using SharePoint to document writing down what we changed in production. And it never failed, right? I don't know if you were doing that, but it never failed that someone would forget. Someone would always forget. And so we were like, great, great. But, you know, this whole thing's thrown out the window because a human forgot to add that step to the process. So this is the output of that, is that humans suck. We will forget. We, or, you know, even automated systems that we were tracking all the different tooling. There were some systems out there that would try to track all your shell history, any changes to any of the tools on the server, and it would log all this stuff elsewhere so that you could look at this log of change. But it's always going to forget a tool. There's always going to be a tool that it missed or some change that happened without it knowing. But yeah. So this is, like you said, this is the best I've seen. And you had some thoughts there. I know. Let me make sure we don't have any questions uh, that are re relative. Would you recommend keeping everything in Git and set up CI, CD, even for configuration of machines? For example, GitLab runner doing swarm deployments, but also running Ansible playbooks for node hosts. Yeah, I mean... Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. Short answer, yes. If it's yeah. code, it's in Git. Yeah, if, I would argue that every, just, everything, just put everything in Git. Everything that you can in Git. It's related to infrastructure. Can... Yeah. If I can just clarify my previous statement when I said if it's code, it's in Git. When I say code, I mean if it's something that is interpreted by machines. YAML, still code. Maybe right. scripts, still code. Markdown. If it's interpreted by machine, Markdown, yes, still code. All, right. the, all that is code, it's, it's in Git. Yeah, and I think that once you start creating a consistency around Git and people know that they can start looking at the Git logs for infrastructure for which applications are running in which environments each branch might be its own environment and so you can just swap branches and see what you know there are entire systems that i've seen companies build simply to answer the question for the teams 
what is running where, right? What's in our dev? What's in our prod? What's in our staging? What's in our, you know, we have customer A over here, customer B over here. What versions are they running? Git can do all of that <laughs> without any additional extra functionality. I wouldn't be surprised, and we're starting to see this over the next five, 10 years that Git becomes this foundational repository for all the workflows that all these tools are already using. But what I'm noticing today is that it's still, we're very, we're still like in the super basic beginnings of this because for example, there are a lot of GUIs, great GUIs, like AWS has a GUI, right? When I do CloudFormation, what I really want out, or whether it's Terraform or whatever in front of it, but eventually it's converted into APIs on AWS. What I really want is I want the repo, and I'm gonna to get to the question from Six Corners here that's related to this, is when I decide I'm going to do infrastructure as code, I want that infrastructure GUI management system to be smart enough to know that, and that I can now edit things in the GUI, and it will then provide me a workflow to change the code. So if, I, if I'm editing CloudFormation on my command line, or I'm editing CloudFormation through clicking in the GUI, it's still the same workflow. It, it Imagine in AWS, where if I say, I want to scale up the number of replicas, and then I click a button, and then it takes me to basically a Git workflow. It's like, okay, you just did that in the GUI. Now we're gonna make a PR for that. Here's what the changes are gonna look like. We're gonna commit it to the Git, GitHub repo or whatever repo, you know what I mean? Because there's so many tools that are are touching this stuff from different places and we're not getting consensus. But I, I expect that to change. I really do that, think that once we realize how better, how much better this Git based, uh, you know, PR and commit approach is to all changes, not just code changes. I think a lot of these tools are going to have that. Anyway, that's my theory. Terraform Cloud, which is very basic, but it's essentially just an automated way to apply your Terraform through Git. Yeah. I've wanted them to have a GUI in front of it for a while now that then will make the changes to Git for me. So that if I'm on my iPad and I need to make a change to production and I don't want to have to go into a shell and edit a YAML file, that I can just do it in the already existing GUIs that some of these apps have and then it just saves it to Git. But nobody's really doing that a lot of that yet. That's the thing. I've been very negative towards uh, UIs. And the main reason that I'm negative is precisely because when I, I do something in a UI and then it performs action and changes the state of something, right? Yeah. And I'm not really against UIs as UIs. I'm against what they traditionally do. Right. If it would commit my change to Git and then perform the action to what whichever action is doing right now, I, I would be fine. Right. I'm just against not knowing what's going on. Right, because it's out of band, right? It's a change that's not tracked in the same system you're tracking all your other changes in. And, and I, I think that's what every GUI right now that I use, that I know of, has that foundational limitation of, I either have to change things in code and use infrastructure as code, or I have to use the GUI, but if I do both, I'm screwing myself. Like it's going to wreck my systems and ruin, ruin my day. Yeah, because fundamentally, Using UI is not different from me using Visual Studio Code. It's a UI. Yeah. It, it's just that this one is local on my laptop. And it would be nice if it's remote. But yeah, someday. Yeah, we'll get there. Someday. So Six Corners asked a related question. Does Argo put any state back into Git? Will Argo update images if the Git repo doesn't change? but the tag changes in Docker Hub. No, uh, Argo, Argo it's CD- two questions. Yeah, it's two questions actually. Argo CD assumes that you or some tool, something that is not Argo CD is going to change the desired state in Git. Right. Whether you build images before that, whether you push it manually, change to Git or through some CI CD tool or this or that, Argo doesn't care about that. All it does, is monitors your Git repository, and when there is a drift between the what is in Git and what is the actual state, it will converge the two. So it, it will not never push something to Git because it's not changing the desired state. It is converging the actual state into the desired state, and you are in control of that desired state. Right. I think Flux 
has a feature that if you tell it to be image-based, not commit-based, and you can give it a parameter and say like anything with the simver 2.1. something like you would put in NPM or any simver. And then I, so it technically in flux, it would, it would watch Git for changes, but for specifically for application images, you wouldn't have to change Git. You could just have your CI tool or whatever you're using automatically deploy after the test update, it would push to uh, your registry. Yeah. And then Flux will watch that. And then I believe it has a feature to re to change the get. Yep. Yeah. To re reflect the new image version. Is there, is there nothing like that with Argo? Yeah. I, no. I, know, I know get, I know Flux better than Argo. There isn't. And personally, I think it's conceptually wrong because I don't, I'm not sure that I like the idea of changing the actual state and then saying, hey, by the way, that is the desired state. Kind of conceptually, I'm not sure I like that direction. Yeah. Because it's, it's almost upside down. It's kind of acknowledging that what you want is actually what there is instead of there should be what I want. Yeah, well, it's not... I, I agree with what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. It's not waiting until after Kubernetes does anything because it's not talking to, like, only thing that talks to Kubernetes is Flux. I think really what it is on Flux is that they have an extra feature and it's probably for other yeah. tools, it's it's just, it would be a separate tool that would do this. But essentially it's watching for webhooks from new images that match a particular, whether it's a simver or date-based or whatever your regex is. Basically it's following a regex and if it sees a new image with a, with a matches the regex, based on a rule you put in the Git repo, it will then update the repo automatically as a bot. So it's essentially automatically yeah. updating YAML. And then that YAML will, and then it will, its own engine, I'm, I'm hope I'm getting this right. Its own engine will then take that and do the kube control apply essentially. It'll do, use the controller to talk to the Kubernetes uh, API. But you're right, if you get those out of order, then, because your state, on the server may not have been successful. So how, you know, that's a lot of. And you just mentioned one of my personal biggest pain points of GitOps mm -hmm. is that there yes. are so many things that are changing the state of. So you, you mentioned earlier when, when you were going through Argo rollouts, canary deployments, right? Canary deployments could fail and then the system will roll back. So far so good. I wanted to roll back when there is something terribly wrong, but it completely breaks the whole concept of GitOps, because the moment my new release rolls back to the previous release, yeah. I have no idea what is the state. Of course, I know by doing kube cuttle and stuff like that, but right. any single, from there on, my changes to Git will produce unknown results. Right, it's divergent. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, that's also true for auto-scaling, right? That's true for yeah, auto scaling failures, rolling failures. I'm trying to think the, what the other one was. There was I feel like there was three, but I, I know for me it's a lot of it's auto scaling. If you scale up to ten and but your YAML is still written to say two replicas, when you deploy a new release, it'll scale that deployment down to two services when it's when it actually needs ten because the production servers. So that's the I guess that's the challenge of GitOps is we probably are going to end up needing multiple features either built into the product or multiple ways to add extra plugins or something or our own automation that will consider these things like auto rollbacks, auto scaling, things that, that because Kubernetes is designed to do things automatically. So if it does these various things that it can do without Git being aware, it's going to come back to haunt us later. Does Argo have anything like that that you know of? No, really at the moment. So Argo CD is just doing deployments, right? It's not concerned about the other direction. There is Argo rollouts, which does progressive delivery. And there is a discussion actually going on for a while, how to make that, how to combine the two, because independently they're awesome, but they're not really compatible. Yeah, uh, oh, okay. Because of that rollback, for example. Or let's say if I do country deployments and I do 20% rollout for a full day because I really want to see how my users re react, right? And that's not an uncommon scenario. What should be the state in my Git? Is it a fully new release? Is it those 20%? Is it the old release? Yeah. I, I'm throwing you, I'm throwing things that I, I have no answers. I think that we are... Yeah. 
at, at the very beginning of trying to kind of figure out those things. How do we answer those questions? Yeah, and specifically for, you know, this conversation is narrowed to Kubernetes, right? Because Argo and Flux are both very Kubernetes specific. Not that GitOps is, but these tools that are coming out are all focused on Kubernetes. So one would think that eventually this is going to turn into either features in the product like Flux has done with the watching of images, because maybe, for example, I had a client, they actually implemented Flux. They're a solo developer, right? They're only one person. So they have, and they're already doing Kubernetes. So they're already overworked. They already got too much infrastructure, too much stuff. They got, they got, they got to develop the app. Then they have to deploy the, they have to manage the infrastructure. They have to do all the, for reasons they had to stick with e, uh, ES. ECS? E EKS, sorry. EKS. My brain. Yeah, he had, they, had to, they had to, so at least EKS was provisioning. They weren't able to do Fargate yet, but they had EKS, so that part's take a little bit easier. And then I said, well, let's look at automating with Flux. Let's see how, we, how easy we can get you to that. And they're still using a different CI tool. They have their own separate CI tool for testing. And I think actually in his case, he might just be, because he's one person, testing it locally. Like he's not using an automated testing solution. He's just doing NPM run tests on his local machine. That's fine if he wants to do that. No one else is going to complain that he's not running tests for the team because he's a team of one. So he has a workflow where he can do the Docker compose, he can do the test and he can do like a Docker push after the build or the Docker compose build, Docker compose push kind of thing. I think he does have now, I think about he might have Docker hub building his tests or building his images for him. Anyway, the point was, is that once his tests were successful, an image went to Docker hub. What he didn't want to have to do is either go hand edit YAML for every new release that goes to production, which is fair. And he also didn't want to have to, because he liked the idea of Flux and GitOps, but he didn't want to have to hand edit YAML. And so he was thinking, well, do I have my CI tool now do a regex or like a, a file parsing of YAML to pull out the image tag and then change it and then commit it in an automated fashion, which would basically be him writing some Linux commands or some script to do that. Set. Yeah, set, yeah, set or awk. So he's, he, did, he was like, should I do that? But then I actually asked someone from the, the, the Flux team and they said, no, there's actually this feature built in that will do it. So he was able to do it with a sort of adding one line into his Flux YAML or maybe a couple of lines. And I thought that was way more elegant than him having to create his own tool to edit YAML on the fly. So I'm not sure, like, that's the way Flux does it. I like it. I'm not sure if there is a better way, but overall, the idea of automating it without having to, who wants to write another command script workflow step of editing YAML for every little thing? I don't know. I go back. Yeah. And so it's, you know, there is always, it's always, there is always the answer that starts with depends. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, now, the downside of that is that you need to use Flux format. And the upside of not that is that you can use any format, like, you know, mm. Helm or JSONnet or Customize or whatever you want. And I think that's the major reason why something like that doesn't exist in Argo City, simply because they did not try to enforce a certain format for storing the information about what is running where, which from user perspective is could be considered kind of like not friendly. On the other hand, from transitioning to something like that, it could be friendly because you already have a lot of investment in your Helm or JSON net or this or that. Right, right, yeah. But ultimately, and, and now I'm going back to the years where we met, I, I'm lacking that simplicity that we got with Docker, right? Kind of, right. it just all bloody worked. Oh, kind of, I'm yet to find a company that gets to that level of user experience that, uh, hey, you don't need to write 75 lines of script to change a YAML yeah. tag. Right. Uh, yeah. Having some, at least some templates that would automate all these things so that at the end of the day, there are people that will never be comfortable with fully automated. But for small projects, like personal projects, I would love without using Heroku, because that's cheating, because they've been doing it for 10 years, I would love to be able to ha know that whatever I create, as long as I got a Kubernetes cluster and a Kubernetes endpoint, whatever I commit to, it's going to be deployed there, and it's going to be GitOps based, 
and I don't have to and I don't have to edit multiple things. I just edit my code. I trust my test process. I, I trust it's going to do all that. And then I don't have to put together five different tools and run them all on a separate infrastructure because I don't want them to be on my production infrastructure. Like, it, it just, yeah, it, it starts to get so... It, it's why consultants love being... Cons- I mean, that's why consultants exist is because no, no one can figure this crap out and no one tool does it all. Or if they do, the problem is they're not great at every, anything because they they do everything. And for those of us that I think that if we've drank that the Kool-Aid of containers and automation and DevOps, we kind of would really just... Like maybe this GitOps will eventually result in these tools that do this, where I literally tell them, here's my GitOps repo, or here's my GitHub repo. Okay, where's your GitOps repo? This is my GitOps repo. Okay, great. Here's a GUI. Do all the things you want in the GUI, and we're going to GitOps everything for you, and you don't even have to touch code. You don't even have to open up Vim because you're going to be on your phone changing production with your phone browser or something. But that will never happen. Yeah, and let me explain why. Because those specific cases, yes, we're going to get there. And it will be like that. And what will happen after that? That our expectations will change yet again. And then actually we will want more. And to get that more, we will have to do the things that we just thought that we escaped. Mm. Okay. So we're we're chasing a dragon. That's what we're doing. Yeah. yeah, Because, you know... uh, do you remember the, how many promises we had when VMs appeared? And actually, those promises were fulfilled. But our expectations are not, are not the same anymore. As, right. As, it's a new problem. Right. Exactly. Yeah, Do- problem. Docker created the new problem of now it's really easy to make them reliable and, pro- and deployable. Now we just need it to be automated. But that Docker is like, no, we're not going to do all that. Like, I'm very excited about... I mean, there are many projects I'm excited about, but one of the projects I'm excited about is Google Cloud Run, which is basically allowing you to run your applications without much fuss. There is no connection to Kubernetes from user perspective, yet Kubernetes is running behind the scenes. But for you as a user, you just, hey, here's my image, scale it up, scale it down, depending on how much traffic I have, and just do the thing. Yeah, and I think it's awesome, right? Now, and 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 I, I'm using it to be honest uh, for quite a few projects, and I, I don't get commission from them, so this is not a sales pitch. But it's awesome, right? And then, but the expectations will change again, and then this will not be enough for me. But it does simplify things. Yeah, I agree. All right, so questions. Let's do some rapid fire real quick because we already started talking an hour. And some of these questions may have already been answered, but we're just going to put them on here for the sake of the, the audio podcast. Argo CD ensures the state of the cluster and apps hosted on the cluster versus Helm is only used for application templating? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yes. I would say that Helm, primary purpose of Helm is to define a manifest of, of, of an application. Well, the purpose of Argo CD is to apply that manifest. Now, Helm can apply it as well, but that's not its primary purpose. Right. And I don't know that Helm approaches this from a GitOps perspective. No. Depends. I mean, look, if I store Helm chart in a Git repo, and then I execute that chart from that, execute Helm Helm up based on the chart from that repo, doesn't matter whether that's from CI, from CD, from a terminal, mm. but I'm effectively doing GitOps, right? I'm... Yeah. I'm effectively applying something defined in Git. So I would say yes. Right. I think that I have maybe a broader definition of what GitOps is to me is if it's in Git and then it gets applied to the cluster, it's GitOps. Yeah, and I think that's one of the Weave guys was saying that, what do they call it? They don't call that GitOps. They call that infrastructure automation or infrastructure as code. But if you're having to apply it to the server, because the problem is that, let's say you commit to Git, and then you go to lunch, and you didn't apply it to the server. So Git is now out of sync from the server. Exactly. Yeah, and there's no way for anyone to know that. Whereas if it's fully automated from the moment you put it, if you're going to put this in the master branch and the Git ops repo, let's just assume the repo is called Git ops, then everyone can, if it's fully automated, they can all look at that and go, I assume this is what's in production. Uh, pending some problem with a deployment or some other variance, but people can look at it and assume. Otherwise, 
if there's a human process involved, then it's almost like, do I commit to Git after I've deployed it, before I deploy it, only within five minutes of my deployment? Like it gets kind of weird on whether I can trust Git to be the actual thing that's in production. Let's be put it put it this way. I don't trust humans to do any repetitive tasks, period. Yeah. Kind of we're not good at that. Yeah. No, we aren't. And being someone who's making a course, one thing is one thing is about making a training course, there's a ton of processes. Like ton of human workflows. We're always trying to automate them because no matter how much we document them, we suck at getting them right every time the same way. Every video needs to sound the same, look the same, have the same volume, the same intro, same outro. Uh, same colors and the little pop-ups that tell you things. Like there's all that stuff and it's same closed captioning quality. There's so many processes there. And I can tell you from the last three years is one thing that is really hard for us is if we can't automate it, it's probably going to not be perfect because we're going to we're gonna forget it on some videos. When you ship a course with a hundred videos, it's really hard to make all hundred videos exactly the same consistent experience. And even when you automate it, it, it sometimes it's still really hard. All right, some more rapid fire questions because I want to get through these. Um, how to test an artifact in GitOps? We have different software testing methodologies, like functional and non-functional. I would say that's not has nothing to do with GitOps. GitOps is after that. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes. I, you... I will assume that you keep your tests in Git, and that I would like to distinguish. There is life cycle of an application, right? And that life cycle has many things, building, testing, and stuff like that. And this is just part of your life cycle of your application. Yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't, GitOps doesn't re change the way you're testing. I would say that the more you automate, the more you need to test. But you can do automation without GitOps and you can do, yeah. Yeah. Next, at what point would you advise switching to Argo from example, Azure DevOps, assuming that there is no manual intervention in a K8 cluster. I don't think it would be switching. So you have Azure DevOps that is your pipeline, right? Basically set of tasks executed uh, under certain conditions and uh, you might just wanna modify it. So that instead of Azure DevOps executing kubectl or whatever you're executing to apply, let it go back to Git. Doesn't matter which tool you use, it could be you using said what we commented before or with Flux or with this or with that. It doesn't matter. But the ultimate goal is that you don't deploy from your Azure DevOps. You modify the state, desired state in Git. Saying, right. I want this release to be in production or in staging. Expression right. of a desire. How do you recommend handling the secrets from Git to keep the credentials hidden? Well, first off, I'll say that that is not a GitOps-related thing. Um, well, he said Git. Sorry, Santiago. Uh, yeah. You said, how do you handle secrets in Git? So slightly related question. If you're new to putting your infrastructure in Git, this is definitely a topic. There's some answers in chat. A couple people in, in chat said sealed secrets. I like sealed secrets. I don't know if you've ever used that. For example, yeah. Yeah. You can use the cloud secret provider. You can use Kubernetes secret provider. You can use Vault. It does not necessarily have to be in Git, really reference of it like the, the same thing like my application is not in git just as my secrets are not in git references to my application to the to container image are in git the source of truth is i want to use this specific tag of this specific image the same thing can be for secrets they can yep. be encrypted one way or another in git or it can be reference hey use this secret from vault that's perfectly fine Right. And yeah, references to secrets are fine because it's not the secret. So it's not, it's fine. You can have that in a public repo. Sealed secrets is a way to basically encrypt the secret so that the only way to decrypt it is to put it on the cluster. And that's a way in open source for us to now put secrets in there in public and not have to sweat it, not have to break the rules of you never should put secrets in, in Git repos. What's next up? Uh, all right, how do you, let's see. So Sealed Secrets got that or got the secrets thing for Santiago there. Best practices for GitOps. Well, I think we're talking about all those. So I'm going to assume that we're answering that question. If you're on Azure, look at Azure Arc. It uses Flux. Did not know that. Thank you, Martin. Azure Arc. We have some disdain for is. Jenkins. I don't know what it is. Let's see, what else? Oh, sorry. Uh, he's Biker's answering. Secrets are really the domain of uh, orchestrator like case or swarm and external tools like vault encryption at the rest. Yeah, yep. 
So Git is not the right place to store secrets. Yes, that's a great response. Thank you for that. Here's some Git, something Vault. Yeah, so I think we uh, Santiago answered his questions. Yeah, sealed secrets. That's the latest trend is the sealed secrets idea of basically using standard PKI approach of things are encrypted with a secret so that the thing can be in public just like we'd use all TLS and SSL every day. That's the same kind of PKI approach. Oh boy, we're on a trend today. Santiago's now giving a super sticker. You know, I always watch all those Twitter, those Twitch channels where they're, everybody's buying them coins or whatever. And I'm like, mm, that must be nice. <laughs> so thank you for those breaking the ice today with some of the donations. I really appreciate it. And sadly, Victor will get none of it. <laughs> so he's, no, will, he's, he's doing this for free. Next time I'm in Cabrillos, I'm going to ping Santiago and have coffee with him. Oh, nice. Oh, my treat. Yes. And of course, I'm sure over on the DevOps Toolkit, uh, channel, you can go over there, and if you're just joining us, I've got Victor on, and we're where he's got his own channel where he's doing some really cool discussions. I like how he goes in depth. He spends 20 minutes really, you know, talking about a topic, going deep on it, and it's well done. And I like he's got good quality hardware, and his production is nice. So, uh, in case you don't know what his books are, uh, you can go over to his website. He's got lots of them. I mean, he's got so many that he doesn't even make a list on his website. He's like, forget it. Forget making a no, list. No, because I, I don't even know which ones I removed because some become tech changes and then some become obsolete, deprecated, and then I remove them. I don't know. Anyway. You had courses on Udemy. You have courses on Udemy? Yeah, I do. Nice. Yeah. And the, the, the last one is actually, I was experimenting before, but the last one is the one I want. That's the one I commented before the show. It's like never ending. I just keep adding stuff there. Whatever I oh. find, I add it there. It's a collection. Is this the DevOps? Stuff. Is this the one, DevOps yeah. catalog? Yeah. Oh man. DevOps catalog patterns and blueprints. This is perfect. We were just talking about this. All right, yeah. people. The last one I edited was Erg Argo. That's why I keep it in my head. I'm, and I and the worst thing is that people ask me, okay, can you tell me what else will be there so that I make a decision? I have no idea. Look at all this stuff. Eleven hours of videos. All right, people. You know what to do. Put no, it on my, my wish list. Hey, 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 I watch your course. The, the, I, I'm, I'm a very beginner style compared to yours. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not trying to flutter. I'm really impressed. So oh, if you're going to put something on a screen, you should put yours, man. Well, I mean, everybody has their own style. Everybody, I feel like the world's big enough that we can all have our own little sandbox. And everybody's a frenemy to me. Uh, you know, we all might compete in some way for time and content, but... As far as I'm concerned, the more people, the better. And the more courses, the better. It's all good. As long as I can make a living and pay my bills, it's all good. All right. I don't think we need to do demos because I think we covered this. <coughs> and we've been going almost an hour and a half now. There are demos of Argo on Netflix or on Netflix on YouTube uh, and in his course. So go buy his course for the demos. They have walkthroughs even on their website. You know, they have little simple things. They have stuff in the manual guides. That's how I first tried to use it was through their user guides. But he's got, he talks about it on his YouTube channel. He talks about it in his Udemy course. So go do that for the demos. I think that you probably got a good sense for what this is all about. Hey, man, uh, can you do me a favor? Yeah. Can I mention my company? Then I did this on, on company time instead of free time. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, so let's just talk about CodeFresh for a second, which is not why he's here. But, uh, no. you know, Co CodeFresh is another one of these platforms that's adapting as a CI tool, it's adapting to the DevOps workflows and specifically to the GitOps workflows. So you'll even see them talking about it on their website. Anything you want to say? No, I think it's, I mean, try it out. You know, I can tell you, I work for CodePress, so I can tell you that it's awesome because it's awesome and so on and so forth. But then that would be marketing. I'm not going to do that. So try it out. Uh, you get unlimited builds for free. Now, there are some features that like with everybody you pay later on if you if you want them but try it out it won't cost anything and then let me know what you think and ping me at any time if you need any help yeah you know i think there's a, right now in this we talked about this for the last couple of years especially like last year 2019 DockerCon, is that the ci and cd space is where a lot of the innovation is happening right now we kind of figured out containers we've kind of at least got the current iteration of what orchestration means and now we're trying to figure out that piece in the middle. So I would say that there's a lot of players in that market, but they're all innovating in different ways. 
We all already have probably our own way of testing and doing some automation and, and workflows, but it probably is worth your time to at least try one out every year, a new one every you know six months or something, just to give it a shot because CodeFresh is a newer option and it sometimes takes newer players to create that innovation so that the industry can move forward. So yeah. And thank you, CodeFresh, for lending Victor to us for the afternoon. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. This is not your first time, and it will not be your last on the show. I always enjoy it, and I, this will be a great podcast for everybody listening in on more GitOps topics on our podcast, which we get now. We're like up to like 15,000 downloads a month or something on that. So there's definitely people uh, listening to it, and they will be educated on Argo and what GitOps is. So thanks to all the super chat out there. Thanks to my Patreon members, my patrons, I thank you so much for your support. It is a big deal that you are consistently supporting me every month with buying me a coffee, essentially. And it helps the whole team here, which is not just me. It's not just Victor. We've got other people behind the scenes making all this stuff happen. So I really appreciate you. And we will be back here next week. Like this video if you want Victor to come back because I make more stuff with the more videos that are liked, like the, the videos that get the most traction are the videos that we keep doing over and over again. So if you want to hear more theories on continuous integration and continuous deployment and delivery, please like this video and subscribe to Victor's channel. We'll see you next week. Ciao, everybody. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>